Okay, welcome to the first episode of the official podcast for the Native American Music Association. My name is Ed Coban, but some folks call me Ed Cohen. I will be your host each month where we will feature everything and anything NAMA. This means artist news and interviews, announcements about NAMA events and award shows, news from Indian country, music, and more. So I'd like to thank you for joining us for our first show. We have on today's show NAMA President Ellen Bello, who will get us all up to speed on what's happening in the world of NAMA which is celebrating its 20th year this year. We also have the great Gabriel Ayala joining us to talk about his music, artwork, and plans for the future. And we will also be talking to Chelsea and Yai from Canada's Twin Flame. So stay tuned, and we'll get this thing here rolling. So again, my name is Ed Coben, and I'll be your host. For the last 10 years, I've had the great fortune of being part of the house band at the Native American Music Awards show every year. So I've had the opportunity to play with a lot of Native artists who have been nominees and winners at the award show. One of the things that I found interesting is the stories and where these artists come from and the stories behind the songs. So it's been, it, I think it'd be really cool to kind of share that with an audience. So we're going to have guests on here. We're going to interview them. We're going to talk, if, you know, talk about new music, things they got coming up. But also we want to keep people informed on what's going on in the world of NAMA, the Native American Music Association, as far as the award show, submission dates for music for the award show, the date of the award show, and also in light of the, the pandemic that we're all going through, how that may affect some of the things going on with the show. So tune in every month because it's, it's definitely an unfolding situation. And that being said, I hope everyone is doing well out there in the world of, of COVID-19. Um, it's kind of interesting how it's really, you know, everything has changed so quickly for us all. So I help everyone out there is staying safe, taking care of each other, taking care of our elders and our youngins, and hopefully we can keep you entertained and for at least the next hour and a half with this podcast. I'd also like to let you know that we do have a NAMA podcast Facebook page. It's NAMA podcast on Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions for future artists or ideas for future artists, just, you know, send us a message through the Facebook page or leave a post on there. We'll be leaving announcements on there, too, as far as who the upcoming guests are and when the next episode will be released. So let's get right into it. Our very first guest today is going to be NAMA president and founder, Ellen Bello. We're going to talk a little bit about the state of NAMA. It's the 20th anniversary for the Native American Music Association this year, and there's lots to talk about. Okay. Hey, Ellen. Thanks Hi, for joining Ed. us here on the first podcast. Thank you very much. Honor to be here. So 2020 is the 20th anniversary of the Native American Music Association. And I really want to talk a little bit about that. But in light of, of the COVID pandemic going on and all the things that have been going on online, I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the online streaming shows that NAMA has been featuring on its <laughs> Facebook page. And a little bit of the coordination goes into that. I've been privy to some of the, the conversations um, through email and, and you know the Zoom online. And there's a lot that goes in that. And the team has really made lemonade out of lemons with this situation. And I think it's been really cool. And I'd like you to speak a little bit to that if you could. 
Well, surprisingly, I think we're actually making lemon trees and growing more lemons. Um, it's, you know, we're at a really unique stage in all our lives and careers at this point. And, uh, you know, there's been a, obviously a physical challenge, but I think there's also a creative challenge that artists are taking on and surprisingly using all forms of media, you know, digital media, social media, uh, to bring their voices and their healing songs and just taking everyone away from the focus of the actual pandemic that's going on and really giving their art. And it's taking even a larger role right now, at least to me, that's how I feel. And I, you know, I just can't get over how much Native music is out there and whether it's powwow songs or round dance or healing songs or prayer songs or any contemporary genre uh, that you can just take a glimpse, you know, either on Facebook or even Instagram um, and see what's really growing and, and bursting out of this. So there's artistically and creatively, I think there's a, a new burst coming. Um, and I've seen some new videos, some great hip hop videos. I've seen... Gunner Jules and Spur Poirier and uh, Charlie Lowry did a collaboration with a young woman, uh, this other soul singer from Oglala. Um, you know, just, and that was an important message. That was against depression and suicide, which comes along with this. You know, we're all battling the darkness in, in this time. And uh, so we're covering it all. We really are. The, the artists are, are doing amazing, you know, taking up a new challenge in this situation. So I personally am impressed. I'm um, so inspired at times that you can catch me up till 4 a.m. or 6 a.m. And I'm just scoping and seeing what's out there and, and feeding off of it and taking it all in. So, you know, the good with the bad. I mean, you know, the, the horrible situation we're in facing this pandemic, this, this virus, um, the good part is that the creative community is really rising through it. So um, for me, that's what I've been feeding off of. I think one of the things that's been able to help NAMA endure for these last two decades is the team that you've put together and the way that everyone kind of works for the love of what's going on or the, the need. And I, and I say that because, you know, having been part of the NAMA family for about the last 10 years, you know, the, the, the people involved haven't really changed that much. And, and everybody just kind of, when you ring the bell, everybody comes and, and steps up and it happens every year at the show. And it's like, how, could you tell us a little about the how NAMA came to be and, and that there's been such this loyal group that is, has been built over all these years? And, you know, what's the history? How did NAMA start? Okay, well, um, I'll take you to that story, which I think um, began in the early 90s. And I was working in the music business. I uh, had worked with mainstream artists like Prince and Hall and & Oates and uh, worked on CBGBs. That was one of my big accounts where the birthplace of punk came from. And during that time, I had a friend in Manhattan uh, who was putting together a special Native music festival. And it was actually called at the Amazon Club, which was right on the West Side Highway. And he said, you got to come. You got to come see this. And I said, I'd love to. You know, we've never had a Native music festival ever. 
in New York City. And, um, and I went and I met a number of really impressive artists. And one of them being a group by the name of Seventh Generation, who are from Rosebud, South Dakota. And uh, a couple other friends I met were out from Pine Ridge. And there was definitely a bond there. Um, they pretty much were in culture shock being in New York City and me born and raised there. You know, I wanted to take them for the tour and take them around. And we did. We walked around. I showed them, you know, CBGBs and other places. And, you know, we did the Statue of Liberty and Empire State Building. And we went up to the top of the World Trade. I just remember that. That's bizarre. Um, and, you know, we joked and... They said, well, how do we make a career? You know, we've never been off the reservation and we really want to pursue our music. So that was the, the really beginning of NAMO, which was to teach artists at the time uh, how to record a demo, how to get press coverage, how to get a buzz going, and how to use a press kit to get yourself more performance opportunities. And they had invited me out uh, to Rosebud, I guess it was the summer of 92, I guess. And um, they wanted me to see how they lived. So a long story short, I went there. It was um, very spiritual. You know, I learned to do a sweat. They had the Sundance going on at Rosebud. Pine Ridge was having their annual powwow, which ironically I ran into a couple people from New York City out there. And, um, you know, we did all the visits, Wounded Knee, Badlands, Black Hills. And we I remember we were in the Black Hills and they said, you know, maybe one day we can have our own, you know, our own event. And I said, yeah, we'll have our own award show. And, and they said, yeah, we'll call it the NAMIs. And we all just kind of laughed, but we were serious in that laugh. And Edco, honestly, within two weeks of returning back to New York City, uh, it came back to me in my office on Broadway. At the time, I had a great you know, professional office right on Broadway, uh, right by the um, Flatiron District. And honestly, within two weeks, I had Native artists walking into my office saying, I heard you, you understand our music. Can you help us? And then I had Warner Brothers Records call me and they said, look, we got a couple artists here. And we heard, you know, you might be able to help market them better. And they were Bill Miller and Robert Mirabal. And then Capitol Records called me and they had the music from Native America's Robbie Robertson soundtrack and hired me to market that. And A&M had the song catchers coming out. Uh, and then my other account, which was Sony Music, Sony TriStar had cashed in from Canada. So it just... You know, I believe it really was meant to be, no matter what I tried to get back on my original music industry path, that this just took over. And I finally remember saying, I think I was sitting with Yula Lee in my office, and I was doing some side work with them, trying to help them. And I think I even had Perfe's solo album uh, on Koch as a, an account, too, at that time. And like literally something just moved around in our office. And I remember Sonny going, did you see that? And Jen going, did you feel that? And Perfect's like, I know. <laughs> and that's how strong it became. Um, with that said, you know, I moved forward to just create 
an idea for an award show and I put together a business plan. I asked people like Robbie Robertson and leading industry people if they would support this. Um, so I had the support of many record company people. I remember the publisher of Spin Magazine. I had some writers support me and we formed informally the Native American Music Association. And with that, I had a business plan and I presented it to Foxwoods because Foxwoods at the time was the biggest Native American owned casino. Um, and it was accepted to do the first award show. So that's kind of how it, it all began. Um, to tell you the truth, if I've covered it all, but really that was, that was the birth of NAMA. And, um, you know, over the years, it is a family. There is no doubt that we all have our lives and our other jobs. And then we all rise to the occasion. The moment it's time, everyone's there and they're working with their heart and their soul and, and all sincerity to do the best job they can for these talented musicians um, and it's truly, truly an amazing experience, and it definitely is a family. And here we are 20 years later, um, and I personally, you know, have weathered through not only leaving my profitable business that I had prior to doing NAMA, but I've lived through 9-11, you know, living in lower Manhattan during that time. And I remember then we went and still produced the third annual show. It was like four and a half hours of the show that would never end. But um, we needed that show. That was another, you know, healing event after what had just happened. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, and then so after 9-11, you know, I'm back. I, then I eventually moved to Long Island because I had my daughter and wanted her to have a, a you know, be near her relatives and have a, a little better life than sitting at the park with nannies. And uh, we get hit with Superstorm Sandy and we get flooded and displaced for our home, from our home for over a year. Right. That actually canceled the, the show for a year. It postponed it. We never canceled, but we did postpone it. And here we are again, rising to the occasion. We still had a show um, and it was a, an amazing show. And then, you know, now it's, NAMA 2020, ready to celebrate our 20th show, and we have the pandemic, but we're still going to get to that show. I know we will. It really is such a great story, and I think one of the things that, like we talked about how the, the NAMI crew has become a family, but it's also really true that the, the artists who come, especially some of the ones who come like every year that we see at the shows, they've become a, a quite a family themselves, and it's I look forward every year to seeing all the same people, but we always have that new group of people that come in, new younger artists, and there's never an ego. It's never about competition, and the, the older generation or the veteran musicians are always, you know, are very supportive and open and, and you know, encouraging to the, to the younger artists, and I, I think that's really a testament to how the show has been run and the way that it has been presented. You know, the, it was the first of the Native Music Award shows, and, and there's been a couple since that I think, you know, would have never got there if it wasn't for the NAMI Awards coming first. And I think you've gone a long way to really helping promote contemporary Native music and take the, the stereotype of it just being straight powwow music or the traditional sounds and presenting it to a larger audience. Absolutely. You said it, you said it right, though. And, you know, it's true. The awards... This award show, and I've been involved with others. I was part of New York Music Awards, which was pretty cool. We had some great artists at that. But this this award show in particular, 
um, was not created to be an award show, like you said, as a competition. It really was a platform to create greater opportunities to showcase the great talent from Indian country and all the music that is there. Because at the time, there were no outlets. And I remember the only real outlets you had were a couple of, you know, Indian Country Today, News from Indian Country, and um, native radio stations. But there really weren't any other outlets. So this did start as an outlet, not as a competition. And, um, you know, John Trudell said it, I guess, at the very first show. He called it, this is truly heart medicine. And Nakai, you know, we're still here. Or Carlos Nakai, we've survived all this. And, and those statements at the time really, you know, stayed with me. And they still do because that's how I operate. And I think that's how we all operate. You know, we're not, we're not here to feed egos. Um, or, you know, it's great. And everyone, awards do make you feel good. It is a feel-good event. Absolutely. But there's much more that, that's shared and exchanged and you don't have all these Native musicians gathering this many anywhere at any time um, than at NAMA. You know, it is the largest gathering for Native musicians. So I enjoy that. I enjoy it. And it's, and, it, and it's nice to see how it's grown and how the family has only gotten bigger. One thing I'm interested in is how the award show ended up finding a home here in Niagara Falls. As someone from Niagara Falls, I absolutely love that it has. But, you know, also, as someone from Niagara Falls, very little actually lands here in Niagara Falls. Except bodies in a barrel. That's what lands in Niagara Falls. <laughs> exactly. It, unless, you're, unless you're coming here to do something outlandish, people usually don't come here. It's, it, you know. So could you speak to a little about how it, you know, we got to have the NAMIs here in Niagara Falls? Because it is a point of pride for Native people that for that brief moment, in the area that, you know, Niagara Falls is the focal point of the native music sure, world. Sure. Um, well, first of all, we love being in Niagara Falls. We are so grateful to the Seneca Nation for helping make NAMA's home there. Um, and they've, you know, helped improve the award show by the last couple of years, making it a, a sit-down dinner, you know, where it's beyond just like attending as a concert event. Um, so that's been a, a nice aspect that they've helped bring in. Um, taking you back to those 20 years ago, um, the first show was at Foxwoods. It was a, an amazing show. It was sold out as a first time show with 1500 people. Um, it costs a lot. Foxwoods put a lot of money into that first show. And, um, you know, there were some changes. The entertainment director had changed. I think, you know, there might have been some tribal changes about to go on. Um, and then we were getting asked uh, to take it out to the Southwest. Artists and public were saying, you've got to bring it out to the Southwest. We would love it here. Do great here. So um, I did. I, I took a chance and I rented out the Pope Joy Hall on our, on our own, you know, help get some support of the local tribal nations there, the, the Pueblo nations. And uh, we did the second show of the Pope Joy Hall, sold out. We did the third, uh, third show, Pope Joy Hall. Um, and then I think we went to Sandia. That was the post 9-11 show. The casino had just built an outdoor amphitheater and invited us to do the show there. I think we went back to New Mexico again for the sixth, seventh show. We were invited out to the Seminoles uh, down in Florida because they had just had the hard rock. 
So we did the seventh and the eighth show um, down there. And right at the time of the eighth show, uh, Karen Carson, uh, who was the entertainment director up in Seneca, was talking to me and invited me up there and saying that they had planned to expand their casino and do more entertainment and would we consider bringing the show there. But long story short, once their venue was ready, um, we did bring the show there. Karen was working at the time. And what was good about that, aside from you being there, and is that a lot of our crew are from New York. I mean, like, you, you know, we have Kim and um, Gino and others who come in from out of state. You know, we all meet. But I would say a good handful of us are here already based in New York. So it was, and Andy, I should say, Andy was initially in Connecticut, now he's down in Florida. But at the time, you know, it was an easy move for us to make as a crew because it didn't involve a lot of travel, you know, or layovers and change of planes. So it made it much, much more efficient for us to be there. And, and you know, to our advantage, the Seneca Nation also embraced us uh, equally and have been amazing and there have been changes there even in in tribal government um, and even in entertainment but you know what they've been consistent and uh, they've been incredible for NAMA so I have to give them a lot of credit um, more than anyone really for us remaining there and having a home because I think it was very important I think you know, we, we traveled a lot, we moved the show around a lot, but now people tend to expect it. And I think that's even better, you know, than not knowing where it's going to be or when it's going to be. So we've had a, a consistent run with them now for over 10 years. Yeah, it's been great. Excellent. Yeah, well, we love, you know, being a long lifelong Niagara County resident it's just you know we don't get that sort of stuff around this part of the state right you know, so you know it's it's really it's really is a special thing around here and uh, you know it's 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 it, it's nice to see the community um embrace it Christian Prina, you know he's the current entertainment director there he's been incredible um continuing on with us and making the improvements like the dinner so uh really keeps it keeps it challenging for us as a crew as an event but it keeps us growing and uh still giving the great opportunity for these artists which ultimately it's a night that honors them indeed so being being that this is a 20th anniversary is there anything special for this year's show uh, open to, open to <laughs> suggestions but yeah i think um you know i think we're gonna take a look back a retrospective look back just to see over the years the artists that have still endured and you know need even greater recognition um and at the same time there's this burst of new artists like i mentioned uh coming up so hopefully we'll have the best of both but i think we're gonna rely more on the history a bit this year with the artists that have been part of our history and then open you know a few slots to the newer artists that are really breaking out. I mean, I'm looking now, I mean, you know, DJ Shub performed and opened at our last show and he just released a new video with the song Calling All Dancers that he opened up with. And I think like in two days, he had 75,000 views on YouTube. Yeah. He's actually a yeah. local, he's another yes, local he guy. Is. Uh, he, 
But, you know, so there's some really exciting things still happening um, that we want to embrace, too. So we'll see. But, you know, we're always open. We'll see what happens with the music submissions this year, which were delayed because of COVID-19. I didn't want to have any packaging uh, being sent because there was a question about how long this virus could live on materials like cardboard and plastic. But we're close enough, I think, to really turn the submission process digitally, you know, to receive everything digitally um, and take it from there. We'll go from there. Okay, so like when that's all settled, and do we, will there be an announcement on exactly how to go through all the submission Absolutely. process? Absolutely. I'm hoping by the end of this, you know, this month or early May. Uh, May 15 is like our pause date here in New York. Like everything's been paused till May 15th. If uh, if you haven't heard Governor Cuomo say that, so by May 15th we'll have something uh, in process, ready to go. Okay, and we'll make sure we have it on the the podcast here, and we'll put it up on the podcast Facebook page and et cetera, et cetera. So, but thanks for everything. Thanks for everything for do for for Native Man. Thanks for for coming on this this podcast. It's it's well, hopefully this will be a, a another little venture that we can we can have some fun Absolutely. with as 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 we go on and uh you know i hope everyone stays safe give the family my love and uh you know you take care of yourself and we'll, we'll hear you back from it. you soon thank you Ed Cole. this is wonderful you doing this good luck and we'll make it a success for sure okay that was ellen bellow president of the native american music association and as she said may 15th we'll know more about the submission process for this year's native american music awards happening in november so stay tuned for that you can also find any news or announcements on the NAMA Podcast Facebook page. Also there, you can leave us comments, questions, ideas, criticisms, whatever you like. And we'll, we'll be sure to see them. We'll be sure to respond. And we'll also on the Facebook page, we'll be leaving links to artists that we have on the podcast, songs, and links to the websites or articles that we talk about on the show will also be there. So check back there often. Um, share it every time you get a chance. And... You know, we really hope you enjoy this. But speaking of artists we're going to have on the show, our artist today is going to be my good friend, Mr. Gabriel Ayala. And we're going to talk to him a little bit. But first, we're going to play a song from him. This song is entitled Yapsine. I believe it translates to Forget Me Not and is dedicated to the missing and murdered indigenous women. And it is a new release. So check it out.
Okay, so we have Gabriel Ayala here on the on the phone. Hey, Gabe, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Uh, you bet, man. Leo uh, Simchingabu to everybody out there. Uh, this is Gabriel Ayala. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast, brother. So, so where are you calling me from? All the way from beautiful Tucson, Arizona, man. And it's about 85 degrees today, and I'm just loving it. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, here in uh, <laughs> here in scenic Niagara Falls, we're we're just hitting the 40 mark today. So you, you've doubled our you've doubled our temp. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, so how's the uh, how's this whole quarantine treating you, man? Uh, I know everybody's locked down, and it's really took a bite out of everyone's music business. Um, how's that? You know, how's that affecting you? Uh, there actually is no music business at this point, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh man, it's it's it, honestly it's pretty pretty crazy, man. It's it's kind of like everybody got their their slate wiped clean, and everybody's at the same level again, man. We're all uh, just starting musicians back like how it was when we first started our careers, man, which is kind of crazy right now uh, for myself. What I've been doing to keep myself occupied has been doing a bunch of live uh, concerts on social media uh, just to keep my chops up, but also to, to build a newer fan base as well. And it's it's been pretty amazing, you know. Uh, I can't lie, I'd, I'd rather be on the road playing for live uh, crowds and audiences, but it's still awesome to see the comments as you're you're playing, uh, kind of scroll through, you know. Yeah, I think we may uh, come to a new norm here in the music business, and I think it's interesting because I know that like you you you're not really new to the the live webcast performance. I've watched you do it a bunch you're, of times. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're right, man. I. I mean, I'm not trying to say that I started this before it was a trend, but I always thought it'd be cool to do things like this once in a while and kind of, you know, get yourself closer and re uh, just kind of connect with your audiences differently. And so it's always been something I've done, but now, um, you know, everybody's doing it and it's kind of like a necessity for us as musicians to, to continue moving forward. Yeah, I feel like it's, this whole thing, in a lot of ways, has really dragged us into forcing us into some change, and a lot of good changes in some ways. So um, it's really cool. It's really cool that it is doing that. So I'm, I'm excited to to hear a lot of the, the musicians out there. Is there anyone that you've uh, seen online that kind of caught your eye or, like, you've never heard before that really, during this, you know, pandemic uh, crisis that, that, you know, really piqued your interest? Uh, you know, the thing for me is cool. You know, of course, I've seen – uh, years before, I've seen many other Native artisans, man, but it's also cool to see that there's other uh, mainstream musicians uh, that are out there and doing these uh, type of concerts as well online, and even comedians are doing it, and people are just uh, reading stories and, and writing and stuff like that, so it's really cool to see uh, all aspects of professions, especially mainly in the arts, I, I would say. Um, when I see painters going live and talk about their painting techniques and whatnot, it's, it's so for me, it's been really interesting to just see all walks of all forms of art, I should say, uh, on there and doing these type of uh, live uh, live feeds, man. It's really awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and when you mentioned that, like all different kinds of art, that brings me, I was going to bring this up. A little later in the conversation, but it seems like a good time. But you, you've been doing. I see that you've been doing a lot of artwork, like the ledger artwork. How did that come about? That's a really cool. How you uh, 
apply it to the old ledgers and it really adds some flavor and it kind of adds a statement to the whole thing. And I'm just, you know, let's talk about that a little for us. Yeah, for sure, brother. I appreciate that. You know, about two and a half years ago, I was up late one night looking, staring at my piano and I saw some uh, Bach sheet music on there and I thought, man, that would be a really cool uh, canvas for a ledger piece. And I just took a chance on it and painted it up and posted it. And people said, hey, I really like it. How can I purchase it? And I was like, I'm not doing it for sale. I'm just doing it to kill time. And now fast forward two and a half years later and over 200 pieces, I've now uh, showcased my artwork all over the United States and different uh, museums. I actually am in a gallery right now. So uh, it's just another way of expression for me, you know, as, as artists, as yourself, you know, you're not just a, a flute player, you're not just a guitar player, you know, it's our voice that we really, you know, want to get out there, and fortunately for me, I'm doing it through many different mediums, uh, through artwork, visual art, music, um, kind of uh, making this what I call wearable art and stuff like that, so yeah, it's it's, it's a great time, brother. Yeah, it's it's cool stuff, man. And yeah, and you do have the jewelry too, I've seen. So, man, you keep yourself you keep yourself busy. I think that's that's great. And it's it's it's. Oh, no, I, yeah, it's and, go ahead. I, and I, I was gonna say, I never say I'm busy. I always say that I'm creatively engaged. It's, it's, a, it's a much better, it's a much better word. <laughs> yeah, it definitely suits suits what you're doing too. You know, um, I, it just kind of lends more to the fact that you know that that you're an artist through and through and that it's, it's coming out. If it ain't coming out on your guitar, it's coming out on the canvas. It's coming out as your jewelry. So I think that's a, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I appreciate so, it, man. So back, you know, back to the guitar in a minute. So when you and me met each other, it was at the, a NAMI award. The first NAMI awards I ever went to, it was in Albuquerque. It must've been 2003. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, man. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, and so over the years, man, you and me have gotten to know each other pretty good. We've we performed together and hung out a bit. And um, the one thing that I've always, you know, because you're, I like that you call your style jazz menko, um, you know, a, a, a kind of jazz flavor on the flamenco. Um, but you know, yeah. what? How did how did you end up in the like the flamenco style? Because I I do see I've seen that you have some electric guitars around, and I can just only imagine like you know when you play the other kind of guitars that it's a different style. And I've never really, I've only ever seen you do the, the flamenco. So tell me a little about your influences that led you to flamenco. Where it's like a lot of guys end up doing rock and stuff, and you landed in flamenco. Yep. I find that interesting. Well, you know, and, and and really my foundation is classical, which which some people know, some people don't. Uh, I actually have a master's degree in classical guitar. I'm the only native american in the united states and in canada uh, as indigenous people up there to have a master's degree in classical guitar which i think is uh, a pretty pretty cool thing and that's really where i started i, I started by uh, wanting to play composers like bach and chopin and scarlatti and all these great you know classics and stuff and from there just like anybody else you know watching mtv back in the day and pop radio i dreamed of being a rock star too you know and going on stages and playing rock i, I still play a lot of rock music and and stuff like that i just don't perform it out out and uh, out and about but from there i just started listening to many other genres and 
getting addicted to those styles and wanting to add to to kind of my menu of, of sounds, you know, from uh, tango to bossa nova to finally jazz and flamenco. And when I heard that and I liked that those two fields, I decided I wanted to try to create a different language of music. And that's where I tried to fuse it. And I've been trying ever since. I've been doing this genre now for about seven years, I'd say. And it's a real cool um, evolution to to what I'm trying to to ultimately get to, and it's always trying to create and add, you know, little spices. It's like it's like it's like your favorite dish. You know, maybe you have a favorite dish that you like to make, and over the years you add here, you add another spice here, and as you grow older and as your dish grows older, it uh, turns into a whole other thing, and that's. That's what I'm doing with not just music, but I guess life, man. I guess we, we all are. And it's a really cool thing uh, to do that. Now, as far as all the guitars that I got, yeah, man, I have way too many guitars. And uh, I still play a lot of rock music, man. At any given time, you'll hear me playing anything from Steve Vai to Paul Gilbert to Joe Satriani or some uh, Frank Zappa, man. You know, I can I imagine. Don't play the, and I just don't I just don't play that stuff in concerts. Maybe I should do a concert on uh on my social media of like rock uh, uh what's it called? Uh guitar covers and stuff that I play, man. You know, some Ingray Mountain and stuff like that. Who knows, man? I think people would be blown away, man. I think I really do. Because, you know, the, one thing that, that really always struck me is is not as as much as you're you're you know you're you're like a maestro when it comes to to playing, you know, I think you literally could could have that title, but you also have a, a, a just for a, for someone who generally, you know, you usually sit when you perform, and for for someone to kind of go out solo by himself with just a guitar and sit on some of the giant stages I've seen you play, and you just capture the crowd, man. You do, you 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 steal the show almost every time, and it's it's I think it's impressive. Is that something that comes natural, or is that something that you you know, kind of develop this? in a way to kind of draw the audience in because you really do and it's not it's even without even saying words it's just in your body movements and your arm gestures and stuff it it, it commands attention and i've always found that really cool about how you perform well i appreciate that brother very very humbled by your words man um you know it's it's been my only addiction in life uh i tell people that i don't drink i don't smoke uh i've never touched drugs my whole life uh, music has been my addiction, man. It uh, it's what feeds my soul. It's what feeds me to to continue breathing, man. And that's the basic uh, position for playing classical. So it was inevitable that uh, about eighty five percent of the time I usually play sitting down. But I now have a full ensemble uh, which I perform with, which features guitar, two percussionists upright bass, keyboard, a singer, and a horn. And when I play that uh, format, I actually play with a wireless guitar system, and I stand up. And it's been a whole different feel, man. It's a whole different energy. And uh, I, love the, I love both styles, but throughout the concert, sometimes I'll sit, sometimes I stand, sometimes I'm out in the audience soloing in front of people, you know? So... Um, again, it's an evolution, man. It's really trying to take it to where I don't know where it's going to ultimately end up, but I can't wait to get there, man. 
I know you've always been really supportive of up and coming artists and the younger generation. And so, you know, if we have any listeners out there that are, are starting out, what kind of advice would you give to someone just starting out in the music business? Uh, you know, I think uh, the most important advice that I could give to, to anyone in life, period, but especially musicians, is uh, the most important word in, in, in any language that I know, and that's perseverance of always pushing forward, uh, setting your goal from the first moment and not stopping until you achieve it, you know? And, you know, the definition of success also goes with that, you know, of what am I going to be content with? What is my real goal of being a successful musician? Uh, for some people, it might be just their bank account of how much money they have. For others, it might be, you know, by the amount of concerts they can perform at. You know, for me, it's always been about sharing the music, sharing the love. And because of that, uh, I mean, I'm a millionaire. And I, I truly live that life because I live to play music, man. So even as I'm doing these concerts on Facebook, and I'm not, I'm not charging for them at all. You know, some people have been telling me, oh, you should charge for these concerts and you should put a fee. And I'm like, you know, it's not the reason I, I felt that the creator, you know, gave me these hands. And I would never tell people that they have to pay just to hear me play. Um, but um, that's where it's at for me, man. When I'm done with my concerts, I mean, I truly give a full concert, an hour and a half minimum every show. And I play real songs and I don't just kind of fluff through things. I put you know, a thousand percent into everything that I do. And that's the way I'll, I'll keep trying to do and give back through this whole uh, pandemic of this coronavirus, man. And I, I see that music is, is a lot of healing to, to people. And I'm just really grateful that they keep tuning in, and, you know, by the thousands, man, to, to share my music and whatnot. So I'll keep doing it, brother. That's great, man. We'll keep listening. That's for sure. Um, you know, you've, you, you've definitely, you've, you've played some pretty cool shows over the years too. And there's one, the one, you know, it, it goes back to that business aspect. It's, it's like, I just remember like, how did you get that show? Like, so the one that really struck me is you played at the Vatican. Now, how does, how does a guy from the res end up playing at the Vatican? Oh man. You know what? Being at the right place at the right time. I hate to say it, but sometimes it's, it's the truth, you know. I know I know. Dr. John said it different, you know. <laughs> but uh, sometimes being at the right place, man, I happen to be performing a concert. This is the, this is the God's honest truth, man. I'm in Chicago uh, performing, and this lady comes up to me and says, oh, my God, your music is so amazing. You should play for the Pope sometime. I said, I tell you what, you set it up, and I'll do it. And she says, okay. And, you know, a couple of months went by. The next thing I know, I get an email on the subject line that says, pack your bags, you're going to Rome. I was like, wow. I was like, no, wait, wait. And I was like, okay, I should probably open this email. And I opened up the email, and she reintroduces herself. She's like, I told you you should play for the Pope. And I'm like, I remember this. And she continues and says, by the way, I'm the so-and-so head of the, the diocese of, you know, Illinois and this and that. And the next thing you know, she says, pack your bags. You're going to Rome to perform. And I was like, that is, that is nuts, man. And just crazy, man. And you're yeah. absolutely right, man. It's like how, I mean, I, I remember growing up 
you know, dirt poor, man, running around the street with no shoes, man, just barefoot, you know, eating fried bologna, man, just, just the red <laughs> guy, you know, nothing right. special, man. I, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, you know, I'm not saying I was dirt poor or anything, but I know, I know what it's like to, you know, not, not be there. And it was kind of a, a cool thing, man, to just think, you know what, man, what an amazing uh, life the creator's given me to allow me to, to share music and to share life all the way across the world, man. And it, yeah, it it was definitely truly one of the highlights of my career, man. I, I'm not going to downplay it, man. I was, I was, I was floating, man. I can, I can imagine, you know, and another thing, and you know, uh, just the best things up here. I want, I want to ask you another question here that, that, uh, you know, you are definitely involved in, in your, your culture, you know, your, your tribe, and but you're also involved in you know you get involved in 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 causes. Uh, I know for Standing Rock, you went out there a bunch of times. I know you would bring in you were bringing truckloads of stuff out there. And and when I was out there, we even bumped into each other right on the bridge there. And and we did, yeah, man. Yeah, we and we you know I did the I was working the spotlights when you were up there performing at the casino too. And it was uh you know how right. what. What's that mean to you? I mean, that's it's kind of a generic question, but as Native people, I know we know what that means to ask that question. You know, that's what you know. How, how do you how do you do you incorporate the culture into to like your style? Because you know, let's face it, it's like you know, flamenco and jazz and all that sort of stuff isn't necessarily you know identified as native. But when you perform and even when you play, it definitely shines through and. Um, you know, could you just speak to that a little, what the culture means to you and how you, you, you bring it into the music like you do? Of, of course, man. You know, well, one main, main thing of how I, I bring uh, directly our culture into it is I'm a traditional singer. Uh, and it's kind of funny because even on like the res, where I'm from here in Tucson and Pasqua, most people just know me as a traditional singer not as a, a guitar player that travels around the world and plays with this and this and different, you know, mainstream artists. They just think, oh, he's just some guy that goes and sings for our, our ceremonies. He's the guy that goes and, and sings for the funerals or when somebody's sick. And But the way I bring that into my music is uh, the, the majority of the melodies of my original compositions are are songs that I compose. So when I'm sitting around late at night out here in the desert having my big old cup of tea, I start singing, you know, I start singing to myself and I record my melodies on my phone. And then later I incorporate them into my, my songs. So I think that that's a difference because our voice really tells us uh, when the melody story uh, uh, over or that when the story is over, you know, more to, more to say, and that's directly how I, I try to keep that feel for my music. And I think that's what hopefully makes it uh, different. Now, as, an, as a native, as an indigenous male, I think it's important for us to always uh, pay it forward, you know. And I believe in a lot of causes out there, uh, as you spoke, that we hung out uh, in Standing Rock uh, together that was one that uh, was very, very dear to me uh, because of the importance of, of water. And for me, I mean, I was up there throughout the whole three months 
trying to give back, you know, selling my own guitars, getting guitars donated by some of my endorsements, you know, from my companies and whatnot. And like you said, taking uh, clothes, taking food, buying buffalo. And the whole time I was just living in my truck, man. You know, I wasn't staying in a five-star resort, you know, and somewhere else in North Dakota. You know, I was literally just there living on my truck in Facebook Hill, man. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and, that, and for me, it's important that we stay grounded, you know. So when I travel to ceremonies, I don't show up as Gabriel Ayala, the musician. I just show up as Gabriel Ayala, the man of prayer, period, man. And it's it's a humbling thing. I think if, if I can give another little bit of advice to our, our other Native artisans is to never forget where you come from. Never forget that you're still ultimately just an indigenous person and you're there. And what's at the core of, of who we are and who I am is our our cultural upbringing, man, our, our religion, our way of prayer. And it was my grandmother that raised me that, that taught me how to be a man. So for me to do anything different would be uh, a dishonor to her. And that's something I would never want to do, man. So that's, that's how I live my life, man. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to share the stage with so many people. I mean, me and you shared the stage at the, at the NAMIs some years back, man. And, Indeed. Uh, your whole thing. And your whole band backed me up, man. That was one of the first times I'd ever had a full band on stage, man. You that know? was that was a great and, night, and, dude. It was awesome night, dude. I got uh, artist of the year that night. It didn't suck, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you, you, and, I, and I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Finish what you're saying. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think it's the first time ever a classically trained musician won and has ever won. Uh, for Artist of the Year, man, and not just that, a solo classical guitarist, man. I mean, again, man, I'm 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 happy to be breaking those stereotypes of who we are as individuals, and again, continuing to move forward, man. I hope we have another opportunity to to share the stage again in, in the near future, you know. Oh, me too, man. I definitely enjoyed it, and it's, we always talk about it when we see each other. So one of these days, we definitely got to make that happen, man. But uh. <laughs> Thanks, so, hey, man. you know, do you got any, any, any projects coming up, anything you want to let people know about before we, we let you go here? For sure, man. I'm working on two new CDs right now. Uh, one is going to be me going back to my classical training, and uh, it's going to be an all-classical album. Uh, it'll be my 12th album that I release, and then I'm also going to be releasing Lucky Number 13 as well, and that one is going to be with my full band, again, that seven piece that I told you about. And that one is going to be titled Jazz Manko, uh, self-titled. And uh, again, for music, that's what I'm really looking forward to, all new compositions. I've been trying some out on my uh, uh, social media concerts and whatnot. And other than that, I'm just going to continue... Uh, working on ledger art, my artwork, and all that kind of other great stuff in the in the meantime. Well, you know, I look forward to hearing that, man. It's it's you always put out great stuff, and it's always again, like you said, you're pushing pushing forward, always trying to come up with something new. So I can't I can't wait to hear it. Um, but I want to thank you for spending the time with, with me today, man. For our, especially for our first our first inaugural podcast show, and and 
you know, we'll have you on again. So, There's so many. I could talk so to you all my, uh, all my brother. <laughs> no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be, uh, on the inaugural, uh, podcast here, man. That's uh, a very amazing, very flattered man. And again, much respect to you. And, you know, I share your music on our, our tribal radio station here in Boswell all the time, man. And, uh, Again, to everybody out there, you know, I always, uh, you know, tell people to love your children, honor your elders, and respect your women. And I'll continue to to keep living that that way of life, man. And um, again, until we cross paths again, man, be safe and many blessings to to everybody out there. Same to you, my friend. Thanks again, and stay safe. All right, that was Gabriel Ayala. Like to thank him for coming in. To find out more about Gabe, you can go to our Facebook page. We'll have some links to some videos and some songs to his website up on there. Also, feel free, again, as I mentioned before, to leave any comments or questions you may have on that Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Also, before we wrap this up, and this is we're coming to the end of our very first episode, so everyone who listened, thanks so much. Um, this is a new adventure we're trying, and it's going to get better. It's a work in progress. Get better as it goes, so your feedback is, is essential. So please let us know what you think. I'd also just like to say, in this new world we all find ourselves living in, in light of the COVID pandemic, that I hope everyone is staying safe. I hope everyone is healthy and taking care of each other. And that means more than just, like, not catching the virus, but, you know, being locked up or not knowing and the uncertainty of things can really take a toll mentally. So reach out to loved ones. Reach out to us here. Reach out to whoever there's, there is resources out there. There are people who care. There are people who will help. So we're not in this alone. And I know that almost sounds like cliche at this point because you hear it a lot, but it really is true. Uh, we have to get through this together. I'd also like to send some love out to Navajo Nation. Dying brothers and sisters are getting hit pretty hard out there, so keep them in your mind and in your hearts. So that's it for our first episode of the NAMA Podcast. We'd like to thank everyone who tuned in. We had a lot of fun. We have a lot of plans coming up for the future. Lots of artists to talk to, lots of new music to hear. Lots of things to do. So, again, any suggestions, shoot them out on the Facebook page. My name is Ed Coban. They call me Edco. We'll see you next time. <laughs>